sorry. My toy basket. Anybody here love household chores? Just curious. Anybody have that? I've got a few. Really? Okay. Well, yeah, somebody's holding somebody else's arm up. Anyway, hey, let's pray, and then we're going to look into God's Word this morning. God, uh, we believe that your Holy Spirit is real, and we believe that in this time and place in 3rd and Lincoln in Bloomington, Indiana, on June 5th, 2011, that you're present here. Um, not just present conceptually, but you're present in reality. And we believe the invisible world is real. And in this very time and space, we believe you're present. We don't always know how to explain it or don't understand it, but we believe it to be true. And we want your uh, Holy Spirit, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And would you give us ears to hear? Because we want to know, God, what you want us to do. We know you don't speak in code. We know you don't speak to us uh, in ways that are beyond our comprehension. But you speak plainly to any of us who are willing to listen to you. So would you give us ears to hear? And then the courage and the grace to respond to be the kind of people you ask us to be. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I rummaged through my house uh, this week, and I got a couple things. One... Um, how many here, anybody have a remote control car that works in your house currently, that works? All right, I see Andrew Morin's hand. All right, it works. This one's supposed to work. I put new batteries in it this morning, but it doesn't work. But we love the idea of remote control. All right, um, when my kids get these things, I like to play with them. And then invariably they break after about, what, a day. All right. But for those of us, now you get a little older, and maybe some of you are doing this, then we have this kind of remote control. All right, what's this from? You Wii fans, all right, it's the Wii, and if you've never played the Wii before, it's kind of like you do all this moving, and your movement causes things on the screen to move, and you win great prizes and points or whatever, and you can tell people you scored 15 touchdowns in a football game, but it's not reality, it's virtual, just to remind you of that, if those of you who are caught into that, but remote control, we live in a remote control world, then you've got, if you move up, you move up a little bit, you've got the, uh, what is this? All right, this is all about cultural literature today. All right, Xbox controlling. All right, and again, it's got all kinds of triggers. I, you know, I still don't, my, my seven-year-old son can beat me in Xbox basketball because I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I mean, he can slam dunk over me, and he's like, yeah, you know, and in his mind, it's reality. And so, but, you know, we have this remote control world where you can do all, this does all kinds of stuff. I mean, we have all kinds of games. All right, then we get more into the adult versions of uh, remote control TV. How many people, by a raise of hand, would remember when you actually watched TV without a remote control? Wow. All right. You have to turn, get up and turn. But this has multiple buttons that will typically obey you at a moment's notice. All right. Now, if you're like me, you press one button, the TV comes on, but the kill box turns off, and then you spend half your time asking your 14-year-old or 17-year-old, how does this work? All right. But we love remote control stuff. We love the instantaneous remote control. I have some other ones in here too. But if you think about how many remote control devices you have in your home, or for that matter, for those of us 
This is a remote control device. It's a cell phone. But how many times have I remotely tried to control my child's, my children's behavior? Hey, where are you right now? Please call me. <laughs> All right? I remember when my wife and I first got cell phones, and she would call me or I would call her, and you'd get irritated if they didn't answer. It's like, well, they have the cell phone. They should answer every time I call. Instantaneous. Or like with my kids, I'll, I'll, I'll want to talk to one of my kids, and I will call them, and they will not answer. And if you don't know this, kids don't talk on the phone today. They talk this way. All right. Then I will text them, please call me now. And I'll get a call back in 10 seconds. But it's, it's all, we, we love being able to control, and, and to be honest, sometimes we can fall into the, you know, trying to control someone else's behavior, control things. We love to control things, and our world has kind of given us the perception that at our command, something should happen. And there's not one of those for God. There's not something we can, even this cool, there's not something we can point to and make Jesus move at our command. We wish there was, and we get really frustrated. I do get really frustrated when the buttons aren't working, and I spend all my time doing this, and my situation doesn't change, or that person doesn't change, or my finances don't change, or my character doesn't change, and I spend a lot of time changing the batteries, trying to figure out what's wrong, getting mad, and then the temptation is to say, it's not working. It's not working. My Christianity is not working. He's not responding. And we're going to look today at, at uh, a story that has all kinds of different angles to it, but one of the angles we're going to look at is the ways in which, how do we respond when Jesus doesn't respond to our remote control desires, all right? We've been looking at the Gospel of John, where Jesus is always challenging status quo. He was killed because he challenged status quo. They didn't kill him because he was a nice guy. They don't crucify nice people. You crucify people who are messing up with the status quo, the way things are. He was messing up with the religious status quo. He loves to mess with your and my religious status quo. So we're going to look at John chapter 11. And some of you, back to the audio, the high-tech world, how many of you actually have a Bible on your smartphone? Wow. How many have you version on your phone, smartphone? All right. When I was a kid, it was always open your Bibles, to, you know, to open your Bibles, but anymore, it's like, look on the screen, look on your smartphone. Some of you don't even carry Bibles anymore. Some of you carry it here. But anyway, I just thought of it up there just to want you to think that we are high tech. I have no idea what you version is, though. I know some of you do. I know some of you do. Uh, I still use uh, paper even though it's uh, 10 point font and I have to wear reading glasses. But anyway, so John chapter 11. I'm just going to read it. We're going to read it. And kind of, I'm going to comment along the way, just kind of look at the story. And again, we're going to look at the story, what's going on here. And my guess is we can find ourselves in this story in some of the ways in which Jesus doesn't cooperate with our hopeful remote, remote control demands. All right. Some of you may know this story, and if you know it, um, there's always new ways we're going to find out things about ourselves to these things. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, here's the message, here's the command. They weren't being bossy in a sense, but here was their command. 
Lord, your dear friend is very sick. All right. Now, context here. Go to the next slide. If you remember what's happening in John, the previous chapter, John was, Jesus was in Jerusalem. All right. Jerusalem's over here on the left. He was in Jerusalem during the feast talking about his relationship with the Father and his, his desire for people to follow him in such a way that people wanted to stone him. All right? So he had really, he had really uh, roused people quite a bit. Because of that, they wanted to stone him. He left, and it said in the previous chapter, he left to go across the Jordan River. That's the Jordan River there. It's about 15 miles from Jerusalem to where Jesus is now. And that's kind of where John the Baptist had been doing a lot of his ministry. So Jesus left to go over the Jordan River. Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in Bethany, which was about two miles from Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives really was a hill, uh, a little bit bigger than Brown County Hills, but it wasn't a mountain. I don't think Colorado Rockies or anything. So Jesus went out, out of the region while the heat was on, so to speak. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't running away. But he was, so he was over there. Mary and Martha, 13-ish miles away, have a brother, Lazarus, who's dying. They send a messenger. It's about a two-day journey to Jesus. They said, Jesus, Lazarus, your, your really good friend is sick. All right? Now, other situations when Jesus came across, across sick people or was given a message that people were sick or dying, typically what did Jesus do? Typically, we read things like, at once, Jesus did this, or immediately he did this, or Jesus followed the centurion to his house, or he went with Jairus to his house where the little girl was dying. So Jesus so far, and other, other stories in the gospel, has a pretty good, in our minds, a pretty good track record of responding to our desires. All right? So here's what happens, though. When Jesus heard about it, he said... Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. One writer I wrote, was reading said he lingered for a couple days. Now, if, I, if, I, am I, if I'm asking one of my kids to take out the trash or empty the trash, lingering is not really acceptable. Um, Jesus waiting two days to respond. If you think about that for a minute, if I'm Mary and Martha, I'm getting frustrated. And it almost seems, if this is all you knew about the story right here, what would you say about Jesus? If this is all you knew about the story so far, this is all you knew about Jesus, what would you say is true about Jesus here? What might be true? He seems a bit, anyway, out loud. Apathetic, doesn't care, kind of seems indifferent. I mean, he loves them, but he's going to stay where he was. We don't know if he was doing anything important. We don't know what he had going on. He was just lingering. He didn't have a job, didn't have to report to work. He was just lingering. Now, freeze frame for a second, jump to 2011. Um... Are there ways right now in which, you was, which you've let Jesus know of your needs, you maybe even cried out to him to your needs, or have you at least expressed them internally in pretty deeply emotional ways, and you don't sense Jesus is responding? I mean, you went to the effort of having somebody go get Jesus, and then 
Jesus stays where he was the next two days. So that's part one of the story in terms of why didn't Jesus respond? I mean, these are good, good friends of his. Why didn't he hop on a horse and get there? All right, here we go. Keep going. Finally, this is after two days. So who knows what the disciples were thinking? Who knows what Jesus was thinking? Who, who knows what they did during those two days? We don't know what they were doing, but he waited for two days for no apparent reason, according to John. I mean, no physical reason, like he had to take care of things. All right. Finally, he says to the disciples, and again, we don't know this, like, we don't know if one morning, he, the next morning, two mornings later, woke up and says, okay, let's go back to Judea. Now, Judea was be to cross over the Jordan and head toward Bethany and Jerusalem is back into Judea. So after two days of apparent lingering, now he's like, okay, let's go back. Now, what's interesting here, the disciples have a whole different take on what's going on. And then they're saying, well, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you because you remember Jerusalem is in Judea. So Jesus is saying, let's go back. He's saying, let's go back toward Bethany, which is right near Jerusalem, but all the disciples are hearing, it, it kind of makes the disciples like they don't care about Lazarus. They never, they're concerned, well, Jesus, if you go back there, those people are trying to stone you there. So here again, this is the kind of, uh, this is a Google map. This was actually taken in the, second, uh, in the first century. Just kidding. Um, but this is, this is a Google map, Mount of Olives, Bethany, and that's two miles between Jerusalem and Bethany. There's the Jerusalem city wall. This is the, kind of where the old city wall might have been. So Jesus is going to go back within a few miles of where the big crowd is and the Pharisees are who want to kill him, all right? So the disciples, when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, because Bethany was like right in the heart of Judea, as was Jerusalem. Judea was the region of southern Israel at the time. You know, Mount of Olives, again, being really kind of a big, big, big hill. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples say to him, you're crazy, all right? In so many words. Next one. Next one. So he told them plainly. Of course, they're thinking about the people who wanted to stone him. But then Jesus changes back to Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, who was also nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let's go too and die with Jesus. So they're, they're thinking, hey, we're heading back to Bethany. To them, Lazarus is kind of a sub-story and Jesus is going to go back, probably going to get stoned, and we're probably going to die with him. And, and Thomas, who is often called the doubter, shows some unusual kind of courage. Okay, let's go. We're going to die too. All right, here we go. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. So if you do the math a little bit, Lazarus had probably died almost about the time Jesus was told anyway. Because he lingered for two days. It's about a two-day walking journey. So Lazarus was probably had died around the time Jesus was told anyway, but Jesus knew that. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So friends, family, other people from Jerusalem, a few miles away. So there was a crowd of mourners, a big funeral time or whatever. All right, here we go. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. We don't know, but we can guess of what Mary's emotions were right now. Like, she knew Jesus was coming back, but she didn't. We don't know why, but you can, you can guess of why she didn't want to go out there. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. 
Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yes, but he, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. So Martha has some degree of faith. I know in the last day we're all going to rise. He didn't, didn't understand what Jesus was getting at. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are on the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here, Rabbi, the teacher, and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, you'll recognize the exact same thing Martha said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if only you had done blank, this wouldn't have happened in my life. Where were you, Jesus? Jesus, if only you had been here. So maybe right now some of you already can relate pretty strongly with Mary or Martha. Jesus, if only you had blank, then blank wouldn't have happened. And there's times where maybe you have or you are questioning why Jesus isn't or didn't show up in a certain situation. All right, here we go. When, Jer- when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, this is an interesting passage here. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Now, the deep anger is not like he wasn't like, stop it, you're stupid. You know, it wasn't that kind of anger. It was the anger. Think about times, and some of you have had it more personal than others, where you've been in a situation whether it's a funeral or a, a grieving situation where something was really, really, really sad or really painful. And you have that feeling in your gut that just kind of starts to retch at you a little bit. And you kind of feel yourself starting to shake a little bit. And you don't know, you, you, it might go into a sob of some kind. And your body is physically kind of clenched because of the emotion of what you're experiencing. That's what, we're, that's what it's talking about here. Something intense was moving and stirring inside of Jesus. He wasn't angry at the people. We could suppose he was angry at the reality of life, life that had happened since um, Satan had dominion in certain areas of the world and certain areas of our lives. And we know. But what was happening was not unlike you and I maybe have experienced, he was deeply kind of, he was probably on an emotional kind of, uh, uh, emotional burst so to speak not not out of control but something he was deeply moved where have you put him he asked them and they told him lord come and see and then scripture tells us that jesus wept and the word wept there doesn't it was not the wailing kind of weeping but it's where there's this deep sense of kind of sobbing so for a moment you can imagine jesus wasn't putting on a show here he fully knew about what he was going to do and he wasn't putting on a show but he was fully moved at the sadness of the situation and the pain of the situation. All right. Now let me stop here for a second and talk about pain and sadness. One of the things I was reading this week that said, let's, let's just define pain as anything, any experience that you find unpleasant. All right. Any experience that you find unpleasant. Now that can go anywhere. And again, not to diminish this from 
the pain of physical pain or even death of a loved one or things like that. Or for some of us, a little more tritely, pain is other things we don't like to experience. Like I don't like to wait at a red light. And again, I'm not trying to demean this one, but I'm saying is we have all these kind of pains and sufferings that we don't like in life. And, and, uh, and we're moved by those things. And Jesus was moved by the ways. Jesus isn't moving to get stuck at a stoplight. I'm not saying that. But Jesus is moved by the sadness of human reality. All right? And the people were standing nearby, and they said, see how much he loved him. But some said, which if we were in the crowd, we might have said too, well, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? I mean, why didn't Jesus do that? And again, think of your life and think of the last few months, last few weeks, last few years, when you would easily, could easily have said, you know, Jesus did that for that person. Why couldn't he do this for that person? All right, next one. Jesus was still angry. And again, angry to that, think of that anger, that kind of intensity of soul, kind of that fire in your soul that feels like anger but feels like grief at the same time with that weird emotion that we all experience as humans. And he arrived at the tomb and it, a cave with a stone roll across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I think the King James Version says, he stinketh. You know? It's because Martha, they, they still have no idea what Jesus is up to. But Jesus, he's been dead for four days. He's going to smell awful. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, now what's interesting here, Jesus is talking to the Father, and he knows people are listening. It's almost like, and he say, you know, it's almost like he's talking to God and knows there's a listening audience behind him. He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. It's kind of like, Jesus kind of steps out of the, of, the, of the player of the movie, and he's telling them what he's doing. I'm saying this out loud, God, but I want them to hear me because I want them to believe that you sent me. So if you're in the crowd, you're starting to be a little perplexed. Here, this guy is talking. We assume he was talking. We don't know. He said, look, oh, he looked up to heaven, so he was. And he's talking out loud to somebody they can't see, but he's talking in a very personal, real way, and he's talking loud enough so they can hear, so they're trying, they don't know where he's going with this, and then it says, he shouted, Lazarus, come out. So, again, you're in the crowd, you're trying to figure out what's going on here, and then it says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped up in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees. It's incredible. A dead man just rose from the dead. Some went to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done. It's kind of like some went to the Pharisees to tell on Jesus. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together, and a few verses later it says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. So here this incredible thing happens, and like everything else Jesus does, he divides people. Some believe, 
Others go tell the Pharisees. And the Pharisees begin the wheels even faster to plot Jesus' death. And they actually say they, gave, they kind of gave the order that anybody that sees Jesus now needs to let us know where he is so we can arrest him and put him to death. All right? Now, here's what I want to focus on. And I'm going to focus on a couple different conversations that happen here and challenge you to see where you see yourself today in these conversations with Jesus. Because here's, here's conversation one that uh, you can, I can, all of us in some form can relate to. The sisters, both of them separately, said to Jesus, Lord, your dear, or they sent the message, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And Jesus gets no, Jesus gives no response. Think of the times where you've said to Jesus or prayed, whether you're praying at home, praying whatever, have a conversation, or you just say, Jesus, Lord, help me, and, and you get this silent kind of response. And then they, when they see him four days later, two-day two day travel period, they say to Jesus, Lord, if you only had been here. Now, think about your life. Think about things in the past week, in the past month, in the past decade, or the past lifetime you've had, or not past lifetime, I mean the present lifetime. I'm not talking reincarnation, but you know what I'm saying. And think of some event in your life where if you were honest and you saw Jesus, you would say, Lord, if you had only been there and done something, this wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have the sadness and the pain from this thing that happened. And you can relate a bit to Mary and Martha's frustration, um, maybe even exasperation at Jesus. Um, and I, I guess one of the things I want to say to you, it's okay to talk to Jesus this way. It's okay to say, to, it's okay to express. I mean, these were women, Mary and Martha, were women of faith. They were close friends of Jesus. It's okay if you're a close friend of Jesus to express some degree of frustration or disappointment. It's okay. It's okay to, to, it's okay to write in a journal, Jesus, I don't understand why you did or did not do this. So part of what I want you to realize, it's okay to have these kind of conversations with Jesus. You don't have to always have what one person used to tell me of one person once, I heard one person say, every time you leave church, you ought to leave with a big Jesus smile on your face. And I thought, no, sometimes you may have a really hard time in life and to put on a plastic smile and say, all things work together for good. And I'm not de demeaning the verse, I'm demeaning the way in which we use it sometimes. Is not God doesn't want that from you. He wants honesty from you. In this case, the sisters, Lord, if you only been here, Lord, if you'd only be doing something, if you'd show up. I mean, remember right now, there's something where you feel like Jesus is delinquent and showing up, and you're kind of frustrated. That he's lingering somewhere. Jesus, why don't you show up? I got this issue right now in my life, in my relationships, in my marriage, and in my financial situation, in my career. Jesus, why don't you show up? If you only would just be here, and you could just solve the problem. Because we love when Jesus becomes kind of our personal magician, that if we hit the remote control, he'll do what we think is the right solution. So maybe that's you. Maybe this is you, and maybe your challenge this week is really to have this conversation with Jesus and give yourself permission to have the conversation with Jesus. It's not disrespectful. It's not dishonoring. These are deep, deep, close friends with deep faith having this conversation with Jesus. All right, next conversation. Kind of a whole different frame, but the same kind of same scene in a sense. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. 
disciples said only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Here the issue is, Jesus, do you really know what you're doing? Because only a few days ago in Judea, they were trying to stone you, and now you're going to go back? Okay, freeze frame your life for a second. Where do you feel like Jesus is doing something that you wouldn't have advised him to do? Jesus, do you really know what you're doing with that? Why are you allowing that to happen? Jesus, do you know what you're doing? Because Jesus, if I were you, or if you would be responsive to me, we have a better idea, we have a better plan. The disciples had a better strength. No, Jesus isn't working. And maybe you need to give yourself some degree of permission to have that conversation with Jesus where you can honestly, with faith and out of friendship, ask him, hey, what's going on? Because that's where a lot of us are, and a lot of us are frustrated at times where Jesus, again, does not respond the way we want him to respond. Um, one of the things that, uh, I think I've used an analogy before, is we get frustrated because we want to be able to kind of walk into the phone booth and come out Superman. We want, we want Jesus to kind of cooperate with our agenda. And we think our agenda is quite well-informed and biblical even. And so the disciples, were, they were confused. Mary and Martha were disappointed. The disciples were confused. There will be times, if not this moment, where you may be disappointed or confused about what Jesus is or is not doing in your life. And that's okay. Just keep talking with him about it. All right? Last conversation is just a one-liner with no response because Lazarus had stuff covering his mouth. But where Jesus simply calls Lazarus into, out of death into life. And maybe that's where some of you are right now in your conversation with Jesus. Maybe there's some issue in your life where there is deadness. Maybe there's some issue in your life where you see it seems hopeless to you. Maybe there's some issue in your life where discouragement and hopelessness and kind of fatalism has taken over and Jesus is calling you out of that. And maybe you've given up hope that he would even call you out of that. And maybe that's, that's your conversation with Jesus. Maybe you need to listen because maybe he's calling you out of something. Maybe you've never made a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe, this is the, maybe Jesus is talking to you and maybe he's shouting at you as he was to Lazarus to take some kind of a step. Because every, whether it's a deadness of your spirit, not yet being a follower of Jesus, or if it's a deadness of part of your heart as a follower of Jesus, sometimes Jesus needs to shout at us, and, but we need to take that step out. And so maybe, that's, maybe you're Mary and Martha and you're disappointed with Jesus right now. Maybe you're the disciples and you're confused with Jesus right now. Or maybe you're Lazarus and you're shocked that you're hearing something from Jesus right now and you need to respond to that. I don't know which one you are this morning, but every one of us can find some kind of story parallel with our stories. So the challenge is just have those conversations with Jesus. And I, I tell people often, maybe the conversation, you write it out in a journal. Maybe the conversation is when you're driving somewhere, turn the radio off and have this internal conversation with Jesus. Be honest about the disappointments in your life. Be honest about places where you're disappointed, where you're confused. Be honest about places of your life that are dead. Because out of that honesty and out of that kind of friendship becomes, uh, is where Jesus brings life.
So we'll finish with this phrase that Jesus said in, in this passage. He says, I'm the resurrection. Actually, read this out loud with me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is what he says to Martha, all right? I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. If you trust me with these things, if you trust me with the things you're disappointed about, if you trust me with the things you're confused about, if you trust me with those things in your life that you feel dead with, if you trust my leading in those things, you will live. You will have life. He says even after dying. So he's not just talking about eternal life. He's talking about an eternal kind of life now. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And then I just want to end with this and change it to, do you believe this and put your own name in the blank? If Jesus were saying that to you in the midst of whatever conversation you have, do you believe this? Do you believe this, that the situation where you're disappointed with how Jesus did or did not show up, or do you believe that the, the area of your confusion where Jesus is doing something you don't get and you would not do it if you were him, do you still believe that he's the life and he's the way that the way to you see the way to give you a kind of eternal now life that you that we all designed for and all crave that's the question of the morning so you know your stories you know the conversations you have or should be having with jesus and the conversation jesus ultimately is asking is do you believe this do you believe that he will lead you to life um let's pray this morning god we uh I'm sure there's those of us here who um, would love to have the conversation with you about disappointment, and I know there are those here this morning that want to have conversation with you about confusion. And to some degree, we're timid or embarrassed to. But God, would you, uh, Jesus, would you initiate those conversations with us this week? Would you stir up those parts of our hearts to be honest with you? And in asking those honest questions and expressing disappointment and confusion, uh, would you then take us a few more steps down the pathway to life in you? Because, Jesus, you know what you're doing. Um, And just like we said earlier, have your way with us. And it feels risky and it does feel out of control, especially with those areas of our lives that we'd love to be able to control. And we'd love to be able to control you. But would you help us understand that uh, we need to let go of control and let you control us? Because that's how we're going to find life. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, We finish every week with uh, communion at Exodus every Sunday. And uh, we do it because the apex of what we do on Sunday morning is reminding ourselves that we need Jesus to live these kind of lives. Um, worship is good teaching is a good part of worship but ultimately we need to be reminded that this is what we need not bread and grape juice but we need the spirit of Jesus inside of us so here's how we do it at Exodus we're going to sing uh, Andrew and the others come up lead us in a few more songs as we sing we're going to uh, have communion and it'll be offered at either those aisles or the middle aisle and we're going to offer you the bread Jesus said this is my body given for you we offer that to you you tear it off And then uh, we offer you the cup. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission and the forgiveness of your sins. We offer that to you. Just dip it in. Don't try to drink out of the cup. Just how we do it. Dip it in there. Um, 
and we, some people take it right here, some people take it back to their seat, but while we're doing this, we're all singing, and it's a lot of other movement anyway, but you can do whatever you wanted to take it here or take it back to your seat. The same time over at the side in the room that says prayer, there are people over there in there who will pray for you about anything, anything related to today, anything re- related to something else in your life. Um, so feel free to go over there before or after you take communion. So uh, let, let me pray, and the band will come up as I'm praying, and then we'll uh, take. Jesus, we, um, we're grateful uh, that you followed and did exactly what the Father told you to do. And you, uh, in obedience, gave yourself, gave your life, let, your, uh, let yourself be sacrificed on our behalf. And then teach us, Jesus, how to follow you in that kind of obedience where we're honest and have questions, but at the same time that we trust you to lead us to life. So as we take this bread and cup into us, would that be a way for us to indicate to you that we want more of you into us and we really are saying, Lord, have your way in us. Have your way in us. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.